So we are thriving off of that. And that's, that's what makes us who we are. And in the meantime, in the back of it, we're kind of raising ourselves. Okay. Sure. Cause the dad and mom, they're in trouble and dad's always causing trouble. And that does make the kids bond with each other. To this day, we bond, we're very tight as siblings because, um, uh, through most of our young adult, he tried to keep us apart from each other to not gang up on him. Wow. Later, we got this all figured out, you know. Yeah. Now, I didn't know <laughs> it was just all self-analysis, but but he failed in terms of he tried to keep us separate as he raised us so we wouldn't unite against him because he was a authoritarian in, in a real strict sense of the way, you know. Yeah. So his way of the highway, you know, all that business. Uh, yeah. So that followed us in adulthood. Some of us forgave him. I unfortunately didn't. Uh, I didn't. And our mom stayed loyal to him. So I lost her too. And then they died young. Mom wow. was 56 and dad was 63. Wow. You know, now I'm 72. I said, God dang it. Why did they die? Could have, could have resolved something, but you know, so that's the lesson to all you people. Don't, don't wait too long. Yeah. Uh, you never know. I did have questions and I thought it could have been okay in the end, but it was very harsh what happened. And and I'd had it with them, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, during, during the career, you know, there's a lot of people counting on you, you know, the record company, the pop, you know, all that goes along with a career like that. Sure. So, so you respond to that by, to the grindstone, you know, what's next, what's the next album. All right, then let's go. Oh, we're producing now. Okay, fine. No, no, we're not producing now. Okay, fine. Who is Indian Lake, you know, Westville. Okay. Give us West. Well, we didn't get along with that. West is gone. We do hair. Oh God. Now we got the biggest one. We did that ourselves again. So, yeah. You know, it's nutty, right? And by the time hair's done, we've dealt with so much craziness. We've, geez, if this would have been a smooth ride, you know, who knows yeah. how long we could have gone, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't going oh, to yeah. be a smooth ride. So that's okay. And how you deal with that is going to define the rest of your future. Tokyo Tonight. I never even wanted to do a podcast before. I liked being on stuff, but you know, it was getting to that point where, um, I mean, I'm sure you know this all too well, but you know, when we were in lockdown, you know, it would get to be like nine o'clock, you know, performing time, and yeah, right. I would start I'm getting. Just saying. Yeah. I'm just saying. Hey, so do you still do the circuit though? Do you? Still yeah, man. The stand-up, you're out there? Yeah, I'm back out there, you especially your own this world. year. You've got your own world in that world. Yeah, man. You know I mean? It's a, your own clubs, your own circuits, your own people, your own fellow comedians. It's an amazing thing, your workhorses. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, man. And it's it's. Yeah. I got to tell you, I feel the same way about uh, you guys. You know, musicians just – that world is, is so – you know, foreign to me, uh, but I've been learning so much just from getting to talk to, you know, a bunch of you guys. And, and uh, it's very, you know, it's cool. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure, you know, a bunch of comedians, especially like going on TV and doing all that stuff and touring, you know, when you guys started, but like, it's, it's somewhat similar. I mean, like, you know what I mean? Like just the, the hotels and the, you know, and, and traveling and, and kind of doing all that stuff. So I feel like there's a little bit of crossover. Oh, no, there's, there's a lot because, 
it's like we do this happy together tour in the summer. One nighters, I mean, 60 cities. And, right. you know, and anyway, uh, but yeah, you get there, you do it, you get off the city. So it's what we have in common is what are, how are we handling the 23 hours and 20 minutes that we have to deal with for the 40 we get on stage? Yeah. Right? Now, once we hit the stage, that's where we're going to divert from each other. But right. up at that point, we're dealing with a lot of the same stuff. You're Absolutely, right. man. Absolutely. Yeah. And I yeah. get that, too. I mean, it's I, I mean, I know guys who spend those 23 minutes getting into, into uh, horrific trouble and then other people, you know, <laughs> where, where you're yeah. like, it's hard to avoid that kind of shit, though, too, because you're like, what the fuck? I'm a, either you stay in that hotel room, you know, yeah. or or you just you know, yeah, but you know what? Honestly, God bless all of you. You are out there on your own. You look left yeah. to right. You see no one. I look right. left to right and I have a sister and a brother. Yeah. So it's like that's a big difference in terms of on stage. What you do, we we think what you do is so hard. It, you're all on your own. I mean, we sing the same songs and so we can learn some songs to perk it up for ourselves, but it, mm -hmm. it's not, not different in that. I'm sure you, you have a, a memorized set of, as a comedian, you know, there's yeah. going to be some with some flex, I guess, but we're fascinated by what you do. Oh, it, cool. We will never be able to do that. All right. Oh never. man. That's so, I, I love that's, that's so cool, man, because it's the same, like every comedian I know wants to desperately be, uh, we we all try to dabble and play a music, uh, play an instrument or something. Like that, you know, but we're you know nine times out of ten we're pretty horrible at it. <laughs> um, yeah, well, it's like Patrick, Patrick Mahomes said he played basketball and baseball. You could, he, and he goes, yeah, football. We football players want to be basketball players, and basketball players want to be football players, and we all want to be baseball players. So it's like <laughs> I get that. Like I want to be a bass player, not a rhythm guitar. You know, you're always right. looking. What's the, what are they doing? That looks like more fun. Yeah. Anyway, I get it. Yeah. Do, do you guys develop, um, you know, like a, a pattern and rhythm? Like, because like, I've seen like, you know, a bunch of musicians live. I'm going to see you guys, by the way. You're coming to my sort of neck of the woods. You're going to be at Count Basie. In, oh, yeah. Um, what? June, July, I think, or July, yeah, maybe? Probably June or. No, yeah, that's yeah. probably June date. I don't know. But oh, okay. We'll yeah. We'll I'm going to take I'm going to take my mom uh, to see you guys, because uh, that's how I started listening to the castles to begin with. My mom had a, a, um, a 45, two 45s of uh, your your songs. And I mean, they they washed away and in, in the hurricane when uh, she's so bummed out, like all her records, like uh, we had this probably some collection. But your mom, yes, yeah. yeah, you'll know every song on this show. I mean, every song. Oh, that's by awesome. Just I mean. They're hit records. They were big hits. Yeah. I don't know, for some reason, all of us back in the 60s, because we're kind of the first generation of all that was coming. You know, we're going to and, and we're going to show the scars, the bad contracts. We're going to lose the money. We're going to lose each other. We're going to we went through. And now the kids, they have good business managers. And we're glad about that. Mm -hmm. you know, but for some reason, we all could get in there and for about four or five hit records. Do it. It was crazy time. We're young and. Yeah. arrangements were all good everybody's arrangements were good and on these hits and it's quite the time it was quite a time yeah yeah absolutely and uh we, and, we recorded three albums in one year wow back then i mean they don't then now they milk one in three years you know for three years and, and that's okay i get it yeah it's a bigger it world. what do you what do you think of that kind of thing where like now it's like you know um the music that's kind of released like if it's if somebody actually releases a full album it's huge because no one does that. But like for the most no. part, like people trickle out 
singles do you find listening to me like do you like listening to music as an album like actually having the whole thing or do you do you like now have you adjusted to like listening to something like this is their first single there's their new single you know what i mean like do you do you like listening to it that way no i like an album i like a piece of work what they perceive to be their best piece of work the first one always is I mean, every piece of work is perceived that way, but your first one, you've had years to do it. It's finally here, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. The second one, hey, where's your second one? Well, give me a second, you know. Yeah. But the first <laughs> one is very special in that way. You know, right. it really is. So, you know, you just learn to, it's just a heady thing to go through to, yeah. to be competing with so many people. I think today it's fractured, right? But what does that give? More opportunity for more artists and more genres. Okay, I sure. get that part of it. The sacrifice is no one's connected like our generation was by three radio stations, three TV stations, the same songs. Yeah. And that's why our tour is so popular because the songs bring back such memories. We are connected so deeply by these songs. Absolutely. And, but now today there's a millionaire over there with a hair record and I haven't heard the record or know who that millionaire is even. I can miss <laughs> them totally. Yeah. Yes. And that's, that's a big difference today than back then. Absolutely. And the thing I think is is so hard is that so much stuff kind of gets lost. Like if it's not, you know, and not not to, um, you know, I'm not trying to shit on on a, a particular genre or anything like that, too. But like if you watch an award show or something like that, I think sometimes people, especially younger people, get the impression that that's the um, Mount Rushmore of music right there because they're getting an accolade. And it's like you're missing out on now like a whole swath of different kinds of talent and different kinds of people because they're just not like you said they don't have this huge team behind them you mm -hmm. know um and and putting out that kind of stuff like and it's it's a shame because i think there's just you know if you're not you're, as a listener you're up against so much content okay so there's tons of content good for the artists good for the songs good for the content yeah but you got to fight for attention now so yeah you could see an award show and think that well, there was one time the Grammys one year, recent year, I don't think it was last year, but it looked like, you know, hip hop was the genre of the day. And this is what everyone listened to. This is yeah. getting the awards. They're patting ourselves on the back. But and it's true. But there's so many genres and so many fractions of this music. You can't put it all in one award show. So that genre that year, this genre. I remember the Taylor Swift years, the these years, yeah. the, those years. There's only room for so much. But even in our day. It was the top 10, 10. Yes. And you're fighting for, in, I mean, it's it was crazy. And it yeah. still is, I'm sure. It's still, but there's so much content. And yeah, they don't need your album. Um, they don't need, they, 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 they want to download what they want and control that, listen to it when they want to listen to it. They don't care about your artwork. I mean, some people, they right. just buy music, yeah. literally. Literally, people buy words, not books, and it's come to that. And that's okay. I mean, streaming and digital, we, we get it, you know. Sure. Um, there's there's a lot of action in there and, and, yeah. a, lot of money, and a lot of money. So. Yeah, that world is even frustrating for, um, you know, my, my, my friends and I in comedy, like it's it's a hassle. But I was talking to a couple friends of mine who are, um, you know, musicians uh, like in Jersey and stuff. And, and it's just the same thing where they're like, batting their heads against the wall because, you know, you got to get content out there. And it's like, you know, are you a content creator? Or are you trying to work on your music? It's the same thing for us too, where you're like, you yes. know, I've got to, I, I spend so much time sometimes cutting video and doing that kind of shit where I'm like, I need to be writing. You know what I mean? I need to be doing that kind of stuff, but you've got to be like a million things instead of just concentrating on the one. 
and, and you can't show up and you have to accept that by the way yeah because that's what you're going to have to do because if you show up and you haven't done it you're not even going to get in the line okay then i think i'm going to look at you you know are, are you funny yeah i'm funny well where's an example oh it's right up there on you where it better be when <laughs> everyone goes to look for it and if it isn't look what you're up against Absolutely. you know back in our day you did look for a record company it was true you mm -hmm. hit the streets it was true this record company had everything you needed that you didn't have to make it all you right. had was your talent and your music period yeah. the deal was we'll give you the talent you'll get it to the world and that was the deal and it worked for a long long time until right. now you have to do so much yourself before you can even approach whoever you're going to approach absolutely yeah so consolidated on top up on top of the taylor swifts and the the established uh, sellers and the people they've decided are going to make it because of the team behind whoever it is yeah. sure yeah but some of what, what goes on today you're not going to hit the streets you're going to hit the internet you're going to get the shingle out the best shingle <laughs> you can ever hang is going to have to be hung and yeah. then then you can sit down and like, welcome to 2024. How do you get attention to the shingle? And the, yeah, man. Fight, the fight is on. And there Ab you go. Well put, man. Absolutely. And yeah. for you guys, like you, you, you and your family, I mean, you guys were, I, were basically prodigies, right? Like you guys knew, you guys each had your specific talent and kind of like, um, you credit your mom for this kind of thing, right? Like kind of getting you introduced into music and always kind of like um, instilling it with inside all of you, like in your family and stuff. But you guys seem to, you know, hit like one after the other. Like you just kind of meshed well. You knew what you were doing, like a whole family full of talent, which is just incredible. And, and from mom, when we credit mom, honestly, and this is just true because we did this on our own as kids. This mm -hmm. was our interest. We taught ourselves the guitar at seven and eight year olds. And by the time we're 12 and 13, me and Bill, my brother, are, are proficient strummers and singers. And and our mom, yeah, she's teaching us the wayward wind and rock and roll and ocean. You don't know these songs. No one does. But this is what <laughs> we're singing. When I'm very, very young in the in the late 50s, early 60s, it, it's mm -hmm. all Barry Como and Ernie Ford. And and we're watching Mitch, Mitch Miller on TV. We're watching the Osmonds on the Andy Williams on TV on the Andy Williams show. We're watching the McGuire sisters, the Lennon sisters. Mm -hmm. And if this harmonizing business is sinking in and we're just kids. Yeah. You, you know, the Beatles haven't even come to give us direction and songs and gear, but wow. choices, you know, we're just on our own. We're going to hit folk music before long, before the Beatles come and folk music's where you learn to harmonize and strum and long songs and memorize all that goes with hoot nannies. And we're in like the seventh, eighth grade playing hoot nannies. They went all night, had 10 artists, Everyone had 10 songs with 20 verses. It was eternal, wow. but it's what you did. We were in Newport, Rhode Island, and the folk festival was every summer, a famous folk festival, the Newport mm -hmm. Folk Festival. And in came Peter, Paul, and Mary, and the Kingston Trio, and all of them came in wow. to Newport. And so we were like, holy mackerel. Yeah, we got into that all right. You bet blowing in the wind and, <laughs> and hanging on your head, Tom Dooley, all of it. The King, those were great songs. And then the Beatles, of course, are going to come up and say, look, look, all right, you did that. Do this now. And right. Everything was going to shift right there. But up until then, you know, yeah, mom, she sang with us. We, we sang at a talent contest. Uh, in, I was in the fourth grade. So it's like whatever, 1957 or eight at school. It was me, mom and Bill singing together. I remember that. Mm -hmm. So there, there we did it. We didn't want her in our rock group later. 
You know, no, yeah. <laughs> you mean, oh my gosh, let's get mom in the band. Remember, she sang with us. It's like let's keep mom as far away from this band as you can possibly. Is what you do with your band when you're kids, when you're teenage sure. kids. You know, it's like don't come near us. But we're starting to sound good in the house, and the parents are going to take notice, and of course, you know, hit the streets yeah. for for the deal. You know, that what were you? When you guys say you taught yourselves the instruments and stuff like that, were there was there a particular record or a particular album or um, or influence that you had that you would listen to over and over again to get those right, or did you just kind of have each other and work off of it? Like, what was the what was your compass there for for figuring out the the notes? Having each other was was a little later and a little older, but okay. at, at the, in the very very beginning, we are picking songs. I, I mean, I'll just look. I happen to have this here, not but but it's like, oh sweet. My first performance was to my third grade class. And we, we did songs, we learned them that had two chords. And we had four string guitars. So I'm not having to do a C like like that C. I can do a simple C with two fingers, sure. but it's it's a, it's a all day, all night, Mary Ann. Mm -hmm. All day seaside sifting sand. Even little children love Marianne all day, all night, Marianne. That's a D and an A. So as a third grader, I, I'm all over that song. Mm -hmm. It's two chords. Love know? that song. I, it's like pressing a button on a computer. You do something that amazes someone else, and all you did was press a button. I mean, I, but the, the third grade, I sang the song, you know, two chords. Yeah. And I found the chorus. Yeah. Bobby's up singing. <clears throat> and so we, this was self, not self-taught. It was self-taught because it was self-loved. We loved Ricky Nelson. We loved these groups, yeah. these singing and the playing and the songs. And we were just hooked as children. And I know our parents with seven kids, if a group subset likes something and it's harmless like music and keeps them in the house, like in the living room rehearsing, hey, this is great. You know, yeah. this is good news in the house. And now they're good. And I'm about in the ninth, 10th grade, Bill's in the 11th, and John and Barry and Paul, everyone's younger when dad really does take notice and, and you guys are good and we got work you know yeah the beatles came out and the, the beatles i joke about it but it's not a joke they brought material the beatles all their songs were so good for the first time anybody had good all their songs are good mm -hmm. all the bands were good and we were ripe for it i was 14 bill was 15 john was barry was 12 john was 10 we were soaking the beatles in learned all their songs and started playing clubs because we had a knack for doing them well right because we had, had that DNA thing. Mom, it's from mom, but we, we credit the DNA from mom for this right. thing. She didn't never sat us down and said, Hey, sing, this is how you do it. And uh, this is what it's <laughs> like. You know, she was just raising a bunch of kids, you know. Yeah, yeah. But what was, was going on in eventually, you know. Yeah. What was going on in the background of that kind of thing where where like you guys were getting all this um, you know, influence from music, the Beatles are coming out and all this stuff. Was there was it all was the focus only like music or did any of you guys have like visions of grandeur like okay we're gonna do some music we're gonna get on tv like and then you know movie like that kind of thing you know how some people have those stepping stones to like yeah yeah or was it all about the music for you it was all about the music after paul and i stopped baseball because we were kids and like baseball and everyone thinks they're going to be a major leaguer but but anyway <laughs> the, the music and, and the thing that happened was it brought us along and it still does to this day meaning that we got good, so oh oh, we got a gig at a club, and you're never as good as you you know. As a kid, you think you're good, but it's the people around you that that let you know you're good. 
Yeah. Okay, so we, we knew we were good at the Beatles. I, I could do McCartney. Bill could do Lennon. We knew what to do with this, especially after the three Ed Sullivan shows. When we saw how they did it, then then we were home free. But anyway, so we got work at the club, and we got seen there by a NBC more the Today Show person who came to Newport, Rhode Island, you know, from New York. They all came up there once in a while, you know. And we got on the Today Show just because we were four brothers who were talented and they gave us 20 minutes and we did cover tunes like Reach Out and Crazy Cover Tunes at the time. Wow. Um, but but from that, you're going to get your first record label, which is going to, you're going to get dropped to, and then you're going to get your second, you're going to get dropped, then you're going to get your third record label. Right. And then you're going to have a hit and you're lucky you got three yeses because usually you're looking for one and yeah. you're going through all the notes. We got three, we got dropped from two labels at first, picked up by the third and had the rain, the park and other things finally in 67 and did it. But we were given an opportunity. I think it would be very hard to get today. After your first drop, you'd be go, they got dropped from a label. Well, all right, let's not waste time there. Let's go here. You know, there's so much right. volume. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the thing I, um, you know, even as a comic, like, you know, when I would read books about the entertainment industry or other people's experiences, because I, I absorbed that kind of stuff when I was a kid, I was a huge comedy nerd. So like any book that I could get my hands on about the 70s and 80s of the comedy scene or whatever that is. But like one of the things I noticed, especially in the music industry, is that um, and I think Frank Zappa had said this at one point, too, but the guys in charge used to just throw shit against the wall and see, you know, if it sold, it sold. If it didn't, it didn't. And now, and I've, and I've been in a ton of fucking meetings where people seem to do this kind of shit where they're too cautious, where I hate to say it, but they're younger than me or, or around my age, but they're not interested in something that has to grow or might be good. They're like, is it going to be a hit immediately? Or am I going to have to, you know, suffer a thing? But like, I feel like, with, like you said, the three record labels that you guys wind up picking up, usually if you're dropped from one, that might be it. But I think back then, and you know, it was probably like, yeah, we well, let's see what happens. You know what I mean? Like, or maybe there wasn't that um, instant information thing with like, you know, everybody getting all the stuff on the internet immediately. You know what I, I mean? I think and you're dead on. Yeah. I think you're dead on because back then there was room to do that. Right. There was room to maneuver. Too right. much gambling, too much risks today. If you fail today, you only had so big of a niche, so big of a thing to make it in. And, and that's and don't try and go to the left or right of that. That that's not your thing. You know, yeah, that's somebody else's thing. Right. So you're governed. Back then, the whole planet was ours, man. It's like if you'd love Led Zeppelin, it was still going to be KHJ in LA, and they're going to play Stairway to Heaven. And then the Castles are going to come on, and then the 19 Den Fruit Com Company is going to come on. Everybody's going to come on the same station. Mm -hmm. So you're aware of everybody's music. You like your own, and that's why today. We are, are all bonded by our music. And I don't think it's going to be anyone behind us that have that, unfortunately. It's not their fault. It's okay. Yeah, we yeah. Bonded something else, I guess, but not that. No, I hear you. I know. And that's why it lasts. That's why it's so fucking good. You know what I mean? Like, that's just like, um, uh, you know, even even if I play, uh, you know, um, any of your stuff to somebody. Who's, uh, there was a, a, a friend of mine who's, um, you know, a uh, kid was going to be a flower girl in a wedding. And then she was kind of like, there's all, you know, there's music about every other part of a wedding and every other of thing or course. whatever. And and I swear to God, she was like, um, she was like, oh, what's, there's no, there's no music about a, a flower girl. And I was like, oh, nah. <laughs> and not that it's like, you know what I mean? Like, not about like, but, but I was like, I was like, oh, but hold on. 
Yeah. <laughs> like one of the best. Songs. You're going to have to, first of all, you know that you're going to, this is going to be historical more than current. And there is a song, but it's, here's the story. It's from mm -hmm. way back then, but, but people know it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's funny how that is. It's been in a lot of weddings where we call those honorable mentions uh, when people use the song. I mean, honest to God, you won't believe this. Most recently it was used in Netflix in one of those Chucky episodes. No used way. Yeah, so it's in like episode three. Chucky's in an Uber, okay, or a cab, and and while the rain, the park, another thing is playing. Chucky's killing the cab driver by shoving an umbrella down his throat, and 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 it's like, you know, we're going, well, what a contrast! It's so bizarre, and the, and one of the answers is like, hey, kudos to the cow seals for letting them use their song. Well, you know, we didn't write that song, so I do. We do not administer the right. publishing. The the sure. the writer, the publishing did, but still. It is funny, the life of the song, it was in Dumb and Dumber. It was in some yeah. other Netflix show where they're torturing a dog or something. I don't know. Oh, anyway, it's, it, but you know what we call we call that like um it's 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 like pop culture. Sure. And and being and being a small kind of part of it. Like the biggest version is today Taylor Swift. That's yeah. pop culture. That's yeah. why she's at the games. That's why we're gonna see her in the booth. We got yeah. pop culture hanging around. It's huge. It's Absolutely. bigger than anyone could ever imagine. So I get that. Uh, and but when David Letterman comes on his show one night, and I'm sitting there, and he says, and and they go, and now the man who thought the music business would never be the same since the Cowsills retired, David Letterman. They go, <laughs> and I look to, uh, I said, is that pop culture? I think it is. That mentioned, I guess that that's being part of. Or if you're on, the, we're mentioned on the Simpsons a few times. Oh yeah. You get in here and there, and then you go, well, people kind of make it look like uh, we're okay. You know, we Absolutely. love that stuff. We yeah. love that stuff. Um, I have a few questions uh, that are not all joined together that I'm going to ask you. So just bear That's with me. <laughs> like, uh, awesome. So, um, well, one one thing I want to know for sure, you mentioned Ricky Nelson, um, which, oh, actually, before I get to Ricky Nelson, so yeah. you were we were talking about just what we were talking about with being allowed to use your music and other stuff, which I find fascinating because a lot of artists that i've spoken to um do like one of two things right a lot of people now will specifically name their songs after um like mundane even if the song doesn't necessarily isn't necessarily about it but they yeah, know, know movies yeah. and television people are not paying attention they're not actually yeah. listening to the song but they're like uh what's this guy doing in the scene he's washing dishes let me see if there's a song you know with that title it has nothing to do with what it is but they'll play it anyway i love that yeah. shit um, the other thing is I was talking to, um, I had Marv Ross from quarter flash as a guest, um, a, like a week or two ago. I don't know if you know him. Um, yes, I know of him. Oh, okay, cool. Well, he was saying they have no say whatsoever over hard my heart because it's still owned by the, um, record label. Okay. So he only finds out if someone uses his songs, which blew me away. Cause I thought you guys all had like approval, right? Like I thought that mm -hmm. was like, you guys had to watch the material and go, yeah. yes, you can use no. my music. Yeah, I had no, no idea. And he was like, I don't find out until I get a check. <laughs> Listen, my, I was I, when Dumb and Dumber came out, we all know what Dumb and Dumber is, Jim yeah. Carrey's movie, great guy movie. Uh, but and when that came out, uh, my daughter called me from a movie. She said, hey, Dad, your song's in a movie. I said, it is? And it was <laughs> The Rain, The Park, and other things, Fargo song. And yeah. it was in Dumb and Dumber prominently, by the way. And uh, three verses, it keeps coming back to it. Anyway, it's, it, now it's historical that it's in there and, and used so well, but mm -hmm. we didn't know about it. 
I didn't, that's how I found out. Back then, uh, Universal had control of our catalog. Now we sued them since and won. It took eight years and nice. we would get money for that now, for instance. But oh, back then, you're just honored that Jim Carrey, you're in one of his movies, you're honored, you know, saying, where's my money? Where's it? You're going, you're telling people you had a meeting with Jim Carrey. You never met him, but they, your songs <laughs> in his movie, they think you're friends. You had meetings. Yeah. You know, it was a good time. And and that was our attitude until a lawyer kind of says, I said, you're being ripped off. And he was right and all yeah. that. But anyway, but you're right. It can happen and you don't know it if you don't administer it or keep control of your catalog. And that, you know about that issue. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Helpful. Um, the other thing I want to know is you had mentioned Ricky Nelson earlier, and I know you guys put out a new album. It was a Christmas album last year, but I know you guys have a bunch of like new songs. Are your fans cool with you guys mixing in newer music? Like, how do they respond to that? Because when you said Ricky Nelson, I thought of, you know, Garden Party when he went. Yeah, he... of course. And that always sticks in my head because, you know, you guys, of course, you guys are going to write new music and all that other stuff. But how are your are your fans cool with you slipping in new stuff? Yeah. Or... Um, yeah, they are actually. Look, Good. look. Some of our fans wish we would do more of that, mm. but we like to read our audience. There's two issues. Our audience is issue number one, and we're issue number two. The audience is an issue because, especially on the cruises we do, the happy together tour in the summer. You know, you're limited. You're with five other groups. You do your five hits mm -hmm. every night in the summer, and the audience comes in knowing that, and they know what they better sound like. And, and all of it, that's why some of the groups that aren't uh, don't have the original artists on our tour, like let's say the Bogues, for example, there's no Bogues in the Bogues. But okay. the Bogues, who are the Bogues now, sing those songs so magnificently that mm -hmm. the audience says, bravo to you. We agree you should be the Bogues now. And they have a harder time, actually, than wow. somebody like us or the association. We have an off night. They go, oh, that's okay. You're old. We know. You gave us the flower girl, so we don't care. Hey, bravo. But the Bogues can't. <laughs> Grew up, you know, they gotta, they better yeah. nail those songs at the end. You better sing them good. Yeah. <laughs> so it's funny how that is, though. So, but, and now the second issue is us as a band. We have always been a cover band. As kids, as Beatle Maniacs, mm -hmm. our first, our only live and concert album, the best seller we had in our old history was a live and concert album. There's not one of our old hits on it, it's all cover tunes. We just decided to sing our best favorite cover tunes, Monday, Monday, and yeah. all these fun songs, Mr. Postman, things we love to do. And to this day, we have a knack for if we do a cover tune, if we're doing You've Got Your Troubles by the Fortunes, or You're On My Mind, the We Five, Ooh. you're going to close your eyes, and you're going to hear the Fortunes, and you're going to hear the We Five, and you're going to hear the bus stop, uh, but the Hollies, because we have that sort of, we were born with that ability and played the clubs our whole life, and it's in the clubs four yeah. hours a night that you learn to do this stuff really good. And we had years of that when we were young, of those club nights that went three Thursday, Friday, Saturday, four hours a night. And you just got good. This is yeah. like baseball. You know, practice, practice, practice. Well, repetition, <laughs> repetition, repetition. You know, it's the same. It was the same thing. But as kids, it's fun, you know. So you're doing it, but you're not sitting there going, we better play tomorrow. We need repetition. You know, you're just loving what you're doing. Mm -hmm. But as older artists, we're glad that happened to us as younger artists. It kept us in shape as singers and performers. It really did that. We worked all the time. Yeah. And you guys, um, when you were, when it was, was, do you think TV or radio? I mean, obviously TV back then was huge and it got you way, way more exposure. But for you personally, like, were there milestones where you guys were like, 
holy shit, we're, we're now being played on our favorite radio. So, you know, we're on the radio. This is huge. Yes. Oh my God. Amazing. And then like, was the TV the next thing or were you, you know what I mean? Like what was more, what was the more TV exciting? Was, the TV was first in 1967. We have a first million seller after three flops. Wow. I mean, I'm a junior in high school. It's like, I don't even talk about it in school anymore. <laughs> but anyway, but we finally have it. I graduate, we have a hit and then we have the hit. Yeah. And you go like, all right, that's an incredible experience. So now we're invited on the Ed Sullivan show. The Ed Sullivan show at the time in TV land is the top of the bell curve. It's Mount Everest. It, you have to be invited. The Beatles were on it. You want to be on it. Everyone wanted to be on it. Sure. They only had one rock group per Sunday night. It's live television, eight o'clock on Sunday. Everyone makes time to get in front of the TV. You, you make plans. You're not going to tape it. You're not going to see it Monday. You got one pass. That getting on that show was the biggest TV experience of my life, our life, the group's life, and the family's life because it was so big. The country saw you, the yeah. whole country. The next day, the spike. I saw you on Solomon last. Thank you. Thank you. Saw you on Solomon. Thank you. Thank you. The only other thing after that was real big for me was when I was 19, we moved to Los Angeles and we had our, our fourth hit record. It's going to be our last, but it's going to be big. So it's hair and it's from the musical. And when I land in LA, and we move into our Santa Monica house. We've got the number one record in the country, Hair. Uh, and it's like on KHJ, the great KHJ. We're, the, we're on KHJ. You know, it's like, <laughs> wow. You know, and I'm young, young enough still at 19. It, it's not gone to my head. I do at 19 think we know how to do this. We've, this is the biggest hit we've ever had. We'll have more. So I'm laying there, not worried in Santa Monica. And Hair's number one proving I shouldn't worry. I should worry is going to come. Sure. But at that moment, I got to tell you, every time it came on the radio and I'm driving around town or whatever, and it's number one, it's like you're in a car and not everyone knows you, you know, what you look like, not like today. Yeah. So it might be, you're, you're in your car, it's blasting, your tops down, it's convertible and your song, but you can't quite bring yourself to look at the car over next to you and say, hey, that's my record, you know. <laughs> But, Roll down your it's, window. It's number <laughs> yeah. one. It's like number. It's selling fifty thousand a day, and it's like, so you feel like nobody. While something big is going on back then, it could be that way. Oddly enough, you yeah. you don't feel like nobody. But I could navigate anonymously. Certainly, if I'm with my brothers and my sister, now the gig is up. They know who we are. Sure. But alone, I'm out there. I look like an Osmond as much as a Cowsill. You know, as much as a, <laughs> any any of us. We all looked alike. So. They might think it, but we need a little more to prove who, we, but what it was like. But that was a great, great time when hair was number one, and I, we lived in Santa Monica, and Cage they played it. Of course, it was all the time. Yeah, it was just I go wow, and because you, you listen and you go, you remember the recording session. It was just a an assignment to do something to lip sync that song on a TV special. Yeah. So Carl Reiner, this comedian, love Carl Reiner. Okay, he's the TV special guy. Hey, yeah. you guys, take this in. This will be fun having the squeaky clean council family sing this hair song. And oh. we agreed. And so, but we only had two days because we had to go on the summer of 68 tour was Indian Lakes a hit too. Yes. So, but, but we're going in for two days before we leave for the road to record this hair song. And man, we banged it out, you know? And and then hit the road. And we thought it was so good. We sent it to Tam Jim and they didn't like it. Indian Lakes a hit. It's like, that's not Indian Lake. I'll tell you that. <laughs> who are you? You know, who are you? And we thought, no, listen, listen, this is so cool. And we didn't know about the musical or the phenomenon that's on the way 
uh, we're going to have hairs, number one, but so is Aquarius and, and let the sun shine in. So is Easy to Be Hard by Three Dark Night and Good Morning Starshine by Oliver. We're going to be a top 10 phenom with other groups from a musical. None of us knew about any of that, believe me, uh, in the spring of 68, what was coming in the spring of 69. Right. And that's when we did this TV special. Hair came out. They finally put it out. Look at that's almost a year after the recording, right? Yeah. Because that was just a homework assignment. We got our song to lip sync at, on this TV special, which we had to do at the end of the tour. So mission accomplished. But we ended up having a great moment in the studio for two days and put something together that was pretty good. That's you awesome, know. man. And it was phenomenal. I mean, did you guys get to like talk to Carl, hang out with Carl Reiner? Did you get to experience that? World? Oh, yeah. We thought we liked him we, and we were young to him, mm -hmm. you know. We sure. saw him many. We saw him decades later when he was ninety, and I, we walked in. He said, "Hello, look at you! You're all grown up." Because the last time we'd seen each other was '69. Oh my was god! When we did that special. It was called "World of Pizzazz" with him and Michelle Lee, and he was a great, funny guy. You know that, and he was yeah. so cool. Yeah, it's the the I, I'm a huge Dick Van Dyke Show fan. Love the Dick Van Dyke Show. I can oh, tell you every episode. Yeah, by name, it was yeah. like one of the best, top five, one of my favorite TV series of all time. And I got to um, uh, befriend uh, Bill Persky, one of the writers, you know, one of the main writers for that show. Mm -hmm. it, was Sam, it was Denoff and Persky. We're at Sam Denoff and Bill Persky. And just the stories that came out of there of, um, you know, just that time period are just, it's just amazing. It seems like, you know, you can't touch it. You know what I mean? That just that, that whole, you know, the TV, the, the movie stars, all oh. that kind of stuff was just, uh, it's untouchable. It's like crystallized. It, it was, I called it, we were all in the music too, and the TV and the comedy was all this frontier uh, participation by us first first responders, I'll call us. Yeah, where yeah. The, our rock groups, our TV shows, this, this, it's all new. Yeah. Do what you want. Right. If people love it, you made it, you did it. There's nothing <laughs> to compare any of it to, sort of as we're going along. We're, we're making up what's, what it's going to compare it to. Right. Well, that's not like the Dick Van Dyke show, but you can't. You went to the Dick Van Dyke show and like, well, that was like nothing else. So yeah. uh, anyway, a lot of the stuff back then, I love when I was born. I was born in 49. I saw it all from color television, arrival of that, all the way to what we're doing today. It, it blows me away. Right. Blows me away. It's a good time. What were the, what were the, groupies like for you guys you know what i mean like that must have been kind of nuts you're all young you're all good looking you know you're running around yeah. la burbank and stuff like that like do you have any crazy stories of like you know like having to deal with that you know, unfortunately here here's what it was with us there of course there were girls girls i mean of course you know yeah but i i will say that bill and i uh from the time we were young to the time we we're in our young 20s mm -hmm so focused on music and managing this nutty career that we were managing the up and down and the nutty things our dad was doing. And it was so insane. It took up all of our time. And that in combination with our dad, he swore a girl was going to take this whole operation down with these handsome boys, something bad was going to happen. So there was a, a circle around us, a wall around us. They didn't get in and wow. we didn't get out. Now, we were okay with not getting out. It's not like we were going, well, why can't we get out and go date? We didn't date, okay? We did music. Right. We were busy, like, you know, I said, you do three albums in one year. You're writing and recording and, and touring all the other rest of it mm -hmm. and dealing with your crazy father and some business decisions that are being made that are affecting your the whole thing. It's like, 
I, I can see why we just got so wrapped up in it after it all blew up and imploded and everything yeah. settled. Did we learn about the world and outside and all the government and th this and that? And you know what I mean? I mean, I, yeah, uh, yeah, we just we just didn't pursue it in a way that was normal. But as young children, we weren't allowed to. Right. So we're raised that way. So when it came time and we hit the big time, believe me, we were, it was all of our our energies to handle the big time, quote unquote, for the five years that we did and the up and downness and what it was going to be, you yeah. know, so it's like, but yeah, then later on, of course, you're very young when it ends, you know, I'm like 23, life came at me, you know, kids and marriage and all, all of it, you know, but up until then, it was like <laughs> all hands on deck yeah, in yeah. terms of of the uh, operation with the recording group and the family and the and the live shows and all that goes around doing that not managing it doing it right right exactly and like how how involved were you guys in like because i know your your dad did a lot of the business issues and stuff um mm -hmm. and i know like a little bit about you know uh kind of what went on there and i'd love to talk to you about it if you're cool with it um yeah. but how, how about you guys in as far as learning the business did you you know did was that a strength that you guys developed over time or did you guys already kind of like watch and learn what was happening in the background like how did you handle some of the business decisions being made and did you guys get to have you know any kind of say once you were there like if you were backstage no, at a no. thing or no um the okay. only place we had power was in the studio and with okay. the live app but putting that aside um we did not have any any uh, say in the business and the operation mm -hmm. and the running of it and the decisions that were going to be made that were coming at us. We had nothing to do with it. We, and I mean, when I say we, it's mostly Bill and me, myself, because we're the producers and the, of the family and the group and right. we're working with other producers, of course, but this is coming back to our lap back and forth. It's like a yo-yo this career. But so Bill and I had nothing to do. We dealt with the fallout of decisions and business decisions. We wow. dealt with, because they're going to be harsh, some of them, mm -hmm. and so harsh that you don't have time to react. You know, it's like you had a million seller. The Rain in the Park and other things. Finally, we got it. We meet Artie Kornfeld. He's our George Martin. Wow, that's solved. Good. Yeah. We're going to have 20 hits with this man. Well, we'd have one because he's going to tell us about pot and dad's going to hear <laughs> Artie told Bill and Bob about the existence of pot. And right. Marijuana. And dad fires Artie Kornfeld on the spot. And now it's dumped in our lap and whatever on that. But you see what I'm saying? That yeah. that's, that describes what's going to be the yo-yo history of the group in terms of it's just different names, different people, different decisions. But right. we didn't make them. No one consulted us. Do you think we should would like to fire Artie? We would have said, you're crazy. Sure. They just did what they wanted and told us what they did. And then we dealt with it. That, that was the career. Right. And what about... And, it could have been so cool to, I wish it was. Yeah, we learned the workings, the back door, man, we'll never lose money again, you know, but never. Did you, were you, do you think you were kept out of those decisions because uh, of a, was it pure like a power trip on, on, on your dad's side or did he truly believe he knew what was best for all of you? Like, you know what I mean? Like what was the, was it just having control over everything or? Our dad, yes, our dad was raised in the military and raised us as a military family using military procedures and kind of applications, which aren't going to work in the long run to raise his seven children, six sons. Okay. Right, right, right. And yes, he did think, and, and why wouldn't you? 
on the way up, you're being proven right. The naysayers are wrong. You got dropped from Joda Records. They're wrong. Philip Mercury picks us up. They're wrong. They drop us. Well, they're wrong. We're going to keep going. You, you, my way or the highway. They are wrong. Now, a lot of people would have stopped after two labels and three releases, but not our dad. So mm -hmm. now he goes to MGM. Now, however the decision's made, we're going to put mom in the group. We are now different than every other th any other thing on the market now. We've got a good song with Artie Kornfeld that he wrote for us. We've got the song. We've got the recording. We've got the group and the mother. And this has now made our group been total outlier from everything going on in 1967 and everyone loves it okay so so now all the way up to that million seller dad is come on why wouldn't you think it i knew it i knew it all along they were wrong i was right they were wrong i was right now what his mistake was at the top at the top you don't have to do that anymore right you gotta you gotta listen to people who exist up there and know how to stay and that sure it's gonna come crashing down but but yes he did think even in his silly decisions that he was making the right decision. Right. Did it take you guys as a family, uh, uh, like, cause I, I remember, you know, some of the stuff, some of the stuff I've seen you guys talk about it. I know, I think maybe Bill towards um, the later years kind of forgave your dad in a way. Did it, did you guys come to that conclusion together? Cause you guys, I mean, what's miraculous. And I don't know that it was talked about, like a lot maybe in the, in the documentary and stuff, but you guys really had uh, like in a way, cause we're, we're in a mental health crisis in this country. Mental health is one of the things I do kind of talk about all the time. It's in comedy, it's in music, mm -hmm. it's in what we do in general, but you guys really had a lot of stuff, a lot of hard times that you went through and had to process probably at a time where people didn't really talk about that shit a lot. You know what I mean? Especially openly. No. And, yes. but you, you all seem to, um really have come out like you're stronger you're close you're a close family you know you worked stuff out um who was that just done like because you know as a unit you know what i mean was that done individual did you have like work that you did on yourself and maybe with your own family privately and then came together like how can you talk about that a little bit like yes because yeah, uh, yeah after look this thing when you when you can go from Oh, I think I'll go to Hawaii this weekend, fly first class on Friday and be home first class on Monday. Mm -hmm. And it's the days where you're in first class and they roll up a roast beef and ask you where to cut it to feed you on that air trip. Right. You know, when you go from that to losing everything and there's right. no money and it's all been lost and mismanaged and this has fallen off a cliff. OK, sure. now everybody falls off the cliff. Now, my dad's been preparing the final fall from the cliff for a long time because he's been doing crazy things. And my experience with our career was dealing with the crazy decisions he's he's making that we have to deal with. Right. Because first of all, we are in the public now. We're famous, the famous council family. Yes, you keep everything out of the paper. Back then you could. You can control your image. Mm -hmm. You're you're the gap tooth Catholic council family, and it smiles and everyone wants to be in it. Now, now as we're going through it. We love the career because the singing and the stage and the recording session, this is our this is our bread and butter. The kids, I mean, this is what we do. We yeah. write, we're gonna go in and record. In the day when you can record right away, even, you know, you don't have to wait till you. So we are thriving off of that. And that's that's what makes us who we are. And in the meantime, in the back of it, we're kind of raising ourselves. Okay. Because sure. the dad and mom, they're in trouble, and dad's always 
causing trouble. And that does make the kids bond with each other. To this day, we bond, we're very tight as siblings because um, uh, through most of our young adult, he tried to keep us apart from each other to not gang up on him wow. later we got this all figured out, you know, yeah. now, I it's just all self-analysis, but, but he failed in terms of, he tried to keep us separate and as he raised us. So we wouldn't unite against him because he was a authoritarian in, in a real strict sense of the way, you know, yeah. so his way of the highway, you know, all that business. Uh, yeah. So that followed us in adulthood. Some of us forgave him. I unfortunately didn't, uh, I didn't, and our mom stayed loyal to him, so I lost her too. And then they died young. Mom wow. was 56 and dad was 63. Wow. You know, now I'm 72. I said, God dang it, why did they die? Could have could have resolved something. But you know, so that's the lesson to all you people. Don't don't wait too long. Yeah. Uh, you never know. I did have questions and I thought it could have been okay in the end, but it was very harsh what happened. And and I'd had it with them, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, during the career, you know, there's a lot of people counting on you, you know, the record company, the pop, you know, all that goes along with a career like that. Sure. So so you respond to that by to the grindstone, you know, what's next? What's the next album? All right, then let's go. Oh, we're producing now. OK, fine. No, no we're not producing now. OK, fine. Who is t Indian Lake? You know, Westville. OK, give us West. Well, we didn't get along with that. West is gone. We do hair. Oh, God. Now we got the biggest one. We did that ourselves again. So, yeah. you know, it's nutty, right? And by the time hair's done, we've dealt with so much craziness. Which, geez, if this would have been a smooth ride, you know, who knows yeah. how long we could have gone, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it wasn't going to oh, yeah. be a smooth ride. So that's okay. And how you deal with that is going to define the rest of your future. We have three dead brothers. Okay? Right. They didn't deal with it very well, I'll tell you that. Right. And they have their own histories and their own documentaries and their own handling of a harsh situation. And, and you almost don't blame them because you went through it too. So sure. you under, you're empathetic as to why they did it their way. You did it your way. Hey, believe me, having children staring up at you and they're two and four, it did a lot to like, I think I better get with the program yeah. here you know, kind of thing, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. or you can run and go to drugs. Do, do what you do, you know, but sure. um, it's, anyway, the response to such a fall off the cliff is what defined all of us in the end. And there's four standing, there's four left standing, yeah. me, Paul, Susan, and our brother, John. And it's like, we're fine. We're tight. Absolutely, we're tight. We understand a lot of what happened, why it happened. Mom and dad were knuckleheads. I dealt with them all my life, that guy, dad. I mean, he scared me at first. And during the career, I had to deal with, with not being scared of him anymore, but dealing with his shenanigans as a business person and keeping the ship afloat with songs sure. and albums and what the, what the expectation of it. Mm -hmm. uh, so that turned into a different thing with me and dad. And then his, his ability to make the bad decisions, you know, he throws my brother Bill out. Wild. Uh, right when hair's number one, we're in our live yeah. concert album and, and I lose John Lennon. Okay. I'm McCartney. Okay. So I lose John Lennon. Terrible, terrible, terrible decision. Should have pushed back on it. Didn't. And uh, that was going to be the history of that. You know, he turns down, he, he gets us, we had 10 Ed Sullivan shows. We only have two because of dad. He loses eight because he gets in a pushing match with Bob Preck, Ed's son-in-law, who happens to produce the Ed Sullivan show. Wow. So Ed takes, gets mad and takes eight back from the family he fell in love with because of dad. We're going to do... We're going to do Carol Burnett's summer replacement. So back then, Smothers Brothers and all these great shows had to have a summer replacement, and they had to come up with it. 
like some of oh, his wow. brothers came up with Glenn Campbell. And look what happened to Glenn. He got a bounce off that come up. Well, yeah. we were going to do Carol Burnett's summer replacement show one mm-hmm. summer. Okay. They picked the castles. But our dad needed $30,000 because one of his Navy buddies was in trouble. And he had to have it in cash at that meeting or no deal. And, it, and they said, oh, yeah, no, deal. no deal then. So we don't get the summer replacement. You, you understand? So yeah. what we got was great. No, look how we got three big hits and four, and we love American style. We got everything. The Partridge family, we got so much. Yeah. But but no one knows what we didn't get that would have made it more like a normal career. You know, sure. it, it's just, we're just salvaging what happened and getting what we could get, which was a lot. And you, you're up there in the top 10. You did good, you yeah. know. But that's you can't sustain that. You can't sustain it. And once Bill got dumped, and me and Bill aren't partners anymore, that we were since we were seven and eight year olds. Right. That's a a, a crushing move. Crushing. Did you so when he got when he got booted? Did you guys communicate still, or was he kind? Did he did he distance himself? Oh wow, he wow, that's hard, man. That is. It was rough. a Sunday morning. We're going to LAX. We got a big tour coming. We're going to Annapolis. And dad finds pot scrapings in Bill's car, scoops him up, brings him to the table in the living room. We're all ready to go. The luggage is in the hallway. We're going. And he says, this is what happens if you don't obey the rules. He's still a military guy. This is what happens if you don't obey the rules. And he kicks Bill out of the van and out of the family right there. And we have no choice, but we got to go to LAX. So we go down, we leave him behind. It's wow. over right there. We go to LAX. We next night we go to concert, and me and Paul are scrambling. Yeah, I'm leaving yep. Bill's. Paul's are in my parts. There's so many of us. The audience. We've always been this way. We've been very flexible and malleable in terms of on stage. Even if someone couldn't make a show, the show didn't suffer. Okay. Right. There's the seven of us. I swear we all look the same. We look like the Osmonds and and us. And who knows? No one said anything about bill at that show and no one asked and, and we right. just got through, we got through the tour and there's no but big screens back then right so nobody's doing camera angles zooming in yeah there's nothing you plug in your sound hopefully <laughs> is even listenable god knows what we sounded like in those days with these sound systems we all had to put up but but that's another issue but but the fact is is that man we did that tour without bill and this destroyed everything it had horrible repercussions Bill, we were going to see Bill probably three times in the next 30 years. That's how crushing that was. Okay. Wow, I had no three idea. times. Yes. One was me and Susan finally went up to Canada. He was so sick at the end, you know, and we yeah. went and saw him and, and, and we had a benefit concert for him and we got, did that, you know, but he stayed and he went to Canada after that Sunday up to Yellowknife. They embraced him. Um, he was a rough and tumble guy. He's on drugs now. So uh, he's, he's rough and tumble. He gets a singles deal with MGM, puts out an album with all his friends. Great. But he's going to go to Canada and never come back. And he never did. And they, they embraced him. He sang in Vancouver. He was the pub, great pub singer of Vancouver for years. And, uh, but when he turned and left, he turned and left. And I, I was just scrambling I was left again, you know, I thought that my career was like the fallout. Yeah. So the fallout is we're still signed to MGM. We're going to get dropped. 
But then we're going to get signed without bill to London Records, the first American group signed to London Records. And now the pressure is we're going to put out an album. It's not going to do well. The last MGM one doesn't do well, so they drop us. Uh, they're critically acclaimed now. Funny how that is. But the yep. issue is Bill's gone. Everyone knows the councils now what happened. Bill's sure. gone. Right. So now we're under a different microscope, but you can't reinvent yourself. The, the albums are good, but clearly it's a band reinventing itself. You can't right. do that in the public. They don't have the patience for it. The record company doesn't have the patience for it. We got that. Right. And this thing is over after that London album and one last single. It's over, but it's never over. I mean, it, that's over. You know, I'm mm -hmm. going to become a pop singer for 28 years. Susan's going to be rocking the scene in New Orleans with her bands through the whole thing. Barry's going to keep singing. Bill's going to keep singing. Everyone's keep going, but apart. Right. And, and everyone had kind of had enough of it. Paul has a great story of the early 70s with Bill and Waddy and this deal they got on Capitol and crazy days, crazy mm -hmm. days. And uh, the rest of us were just trying to recover. And uh, we made a couple of albums. But again, with John, me, Paul, and Susan, mostly, you know, right. we, were, we were the group that stayed tight. The others went a little nutty, buddy. Yeah. Was there any resentment toward, toward Waddy or anything like that when you guys were? Because I know he was very close with Bill. Was he close with all of you? Or, you know, what was that dynamic like? We were kids uh, in high school bands uh, in Newport, Rhode Island. Our band was the Beatle Band, and Waddy's band was the Rascals Band because they had a Hammond B3. Okay. And so... That now we coexisted and, and both very popular. They were very good. We our jaws were open on them, and they thought we did Beatles <laughs> like nobody could. You know, Water right. still says we're the best Beatle band he ever heard. But <laughs> but back then, but Waddy and Bill connected, and this is going to be a seed that builds right there in high school against my dad. Mm. And uh, my dad and Bill never saw eye to eye, and and Bill kind of. Waddy became kind of for both Bill and I, both Bill and I are the ones who really knew Waddy because okay. we're the older, we're the older guys, you know? Sure. So we know Waddy. We want to, we want to be Waddy's band instead of our own. It goes all the way back to that because his band's cooler, mm -hmm. but he is a great guitarist and yeah. we do learn from him. And we, we learned some songs from him that we put in our band that he arranged. And uh -huh. we're even going to do one later in our career, Silver Threads and Golden Needles. So Waddy is a big influence, mm. but we're teenagers, you know, these, these two guys are trouble, Waddy and Billy right. in the house. And dad's gonna take everyone on, you know, and, and, and Waddy was witness to a lot of it. Uh, and then we, we end up all coming to California, even Waddy and his guys, and we're all out here. And yeah, Bill wanted to go down, like Waddy's independent and does what he wants and he's got his band. Blah, blah, blah. What, what kid, teenager in a family group wouldn't want to jump ship and yeah. go over there? And right. Bill did. He did want to. And he did it. Mm -hmm. You know, it was harsh. He got booted. But yeah. that, that was going to probably happen anyway. I don't know. But now Waddy was great. And in terms of musically, he really helped Bill, Bill and me in the early days. Oh, things about drumming and keeping meters and how to record. And he knew things. It was really cool. That's awesome, that we, man. We didn't know. Um, did you get to, uh, cause I know when you made the documentary, you were kind of reaching out to other people to kind of piece, which I thought was beautiful, by the way, like I've never seen a documentary kind of done that way. That was so introspective because it looked like you were going, you were, you were really trying to piece together maybe stuff you couldn't figure out back then, which was awesome totally. to see. 
Um, so, did you get to, I don't, I don't remember. Did you get to get in touch with anybody like, like a Carol Burnett to try to figure out like, what, is that how you figured out what happened in the background of that? Or, um, like how did yeah, you get all those details? It depends on the source, you know, the, the, like the Carol Burnett thing is, as this, a guy that worked with us and with the company at the time, Biggie, and we knew who, who he was and he was mm. there. Uh, the, oh, okay. the, the documentary though like yeah an example of that for the doc our documentary was we was getting in touch with brooks arthur brooks arthur is a very great recording engineer in on a lot of hits people and mm -hmm. he was part of our team with Artie's the producer brooks is the engineer okay. um and and we got jimmy wisner arranging uh he arranged for everybody back then the team is in place brooks is the one you could go to and say brooks what happened how did it all fall apart? Yeah, you go to people like that to fill in the blank because all we know is that one night we were supposed to go to the studio and we didn't go. Right. That's all, that's all we knew. Mm -hmm. But what we found out was why we didn't go to the studio was because our dad, that was the time he had fired Artie Kornfeld and we were already working on our next album. And we didn't show because dad sent down a couple of people to take the tapes from Artie and Brooks Arthur who were waiting for us. Look how he did things, right? That's so bad karma. Yeah. But anyway, they went down and got the tapes and, and we were spun some story later about uh, they took us to the new guy, Roy Sakala at A&R, who we're going to fall in love with and do a whole album with. But right now he's sitting and telling us, that oh well what you did with Artie and Brooks that that's not you you sound better than that you know they're spinning why Artie got fired right because we're gonna learn the real reason later about that nonsense wow. but right now we got to scramble we're in the middle of the second album we got to scramble right. and it is what it is and we did get as children you got good at that it is what it is stop moping about it and you learn to get over things quick so we got right back into it with with roy sakala a great engineer again working with engineers on the we can fly album bill and i are producing okay we're over already we got to work we got to work and it, probably that was a good thing because you worked for hours on this stuff back then right hours to record and you could work for four hours just getting a bass drum sound you know it just was time consuming yeah and, so you loved it you know i said oh we're in the lab thank god you know yeah did you did you have a moment where either on stage because sometimes people have that thing where like uh you know you're working so hard you're trying to produce good music you're trying to get out there and do whatever but then all of a sudden things slow down and it clicks and you're like, holy shit, we're really fucking good at that. You know what I mean? Like, do you do you remember a moment or a time where you guys live on stage where all of a sudden you were like, we got this. We're fucking amazing. Um, not really, not inwardly, really. We okay. had audiences. We had audiences that reacted that way. Yeah. And um, it could be from being at this since children or something. And the evolution of an audience as I evolve as a person went with me on that that was part of the journey the audiences okay. from the third grade up you know yeah. what i'm saying yeah, yeah. to thousand in montreal so all that was going to happen eventually mm -hmm. you know yeah. so you never walked around feeling that even we recorded our latest album rhythm of the world we recorded last year and put it out even then we we think it's good because it's us we all yeah. got to think what you're doing is good well yeah. will everyone agree was as veterans we know that question is the big question. Will everybody agree? Can you get to anybody anymore? But you right. don't worry about that in the studio. You got to record your great album. 
no matter what. Yeah. And even then we start to say, is this any good? I think we've asked, <laughs> is this any good all along the way? You know, we really have. Is this any good? And by that, we mean the definition of the question is, is anyone else going to like this but us? So and and you got to roll the dice. You, yeah. But you, now you got to get a shot. We got that in the old day. And we get a, a shot now because of our, our legacy and what we bring to the table. But you still need a bigger bigger than that to do anything today because it's it's managed and controlled we feel the whole industry is managed and controlled i mean the disney stars the they just uh they're gonna make it and you yeah. get good songs there's good singers all of these music shows the voice and american idol if if it proved anything it said yeah you know you're the famous singer but there's a ton out there yep. you know that could be and just didn't get the shot. And, and there you go. These shows are proven that, right? Sure. So it's like you put your shingle out, man, there's going to be a lot of good shingles out there now because uh, a lot of good talent is out there. They know how to write. They know how to record. We were rookies when we did it. Right. But but the writers of today grew up on all the writing from our early days through all the 70s, 80s, and 90s to today. It's like, wow. Yeah. It's incredible, you know? Absolutely. And you can you can still see the influence from all that stuff. That's the thing. I was watching a um oh my god, I'm gonna blank on her name. It was a documentary that Scorsese did about um and I love this woman. She you know she's a writer. Um um JLo? JLo? No, 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 no. She's a, a like a um oh. an author, you know. What I mean? She used to write columns, she had Anne oh, and oh, 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 Leibowitz. Okay. Anne Leibowitz or Fran Leibowitz. Oh, Anne, yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's what you mean. Yeah, I know. Who you yeah, mean. yeah. So uh, Scorsese does a documentary, but she was talking about, you know, um, 60s, 70s, 80s, you know, that kind of thing. And she goes, you want to know how I know that there's that those those are significant decades and why they're so ingrained into everybody's because she goes, when I was a kid, I don't remember anybody running up to my parents and going, what was it like in the 30s? And it's like, <laughs> you're yeah. like, yeah, that makes I mean, you know, there was so much so much cool shit happening then and so much influence and stuff coming out and, of it. and once it and once it landed it was the first born of all of it yeah you're right our parents i don't i don't know what they did but we know what we did yeah. and our kids know what we did yeah and our grandchildren know what we did and the others did after us everyone's caught up now they've seen the evolution and we were in the beginning and those songs are so strong to this day they they are why the happy together tour with six groups from the 60s sell out 60 yeah. cities today not because of the groups good lord we're in our 60s and 70s because of the songs songs yeah and being able to play them correctly because yeah. that's what blows people our age and you can still play it like that well that's very impressive for 70 yeah. year olds you know but, but the, you guys the, still sound amazing and sound the same like that's the other thing too is like i think there's uh i mean if, i don't know if there's a science to it or whatever it is and not even to to diss the guys who who don't sound the same but i don't even understand how like some of some of those some of you guys who've been doing it forever either yeah. maybe you take care of your voice maybe there really is like a regiment to it you know what i mean but sometimes you hear people and you're like oh my god that's so sad they don't sound like them at all and then some sometimes there's like dudes in their 80s who still like you know hit the same note and, and you're just like holy f i saw yeah. um oh my god uh he i think he passed away um but jay from jay and the americans right okay um i remember like years ago i was in a comedy club 
Uh, it was me and Dom Irera. We turn on, uh, you know, the TV in the back of the room. And for some reason, it's some PBS thing. And I guess they're just doing a lot like they're like Jay's and whatever somewhere. And we were like, oh, you know, we were kind of looking at it. And we're like, oh, man, I wonder what's going to. And boom, he just belts out. He must have been 70, whatever, belts out Karamia. And we're like, what the fuck? You know, like how the hell, you know, what is it? But you guys, same thing. You guys sound incredible, sound the same. Like you never stop, like never missed a beat. It's funny you mentioned Jay. Um, we're fortunate in that I sang at a pub in Woodland Hills for 28 years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Four hours a night. That's, that's work. That's muscle. You know, it's a yeah. muscle. Susan never stops. It's a muscle. Now there's a DNA component. Everything has it. And that has it too. We get it with our blend and we get it with sounding young as we're aging because all of us in our family have no problem doing this. The right. warble will come in, even I hear literally McCartney even, but it's got to yeah, come yeah. in. And I know, and I know about that and that's okay. Mm -hmm. But, but right now we're happy to, uh, man, have our voices be in such good shape and, and even every summer doing it every summer for 60 shows, that's like sprinting, you know? So even our summers are keeping us in shape for, for the next summer and yeah. the winter shows. And the winter shows keep us in shape for the summer. It's, it's like a workout routine, right. really. But there is a strong DNA component, we think, with ourselves because all of us uh, are doing fine. Yeah. In the it's it's incredible, that's man. That's a, that's a cool thing. And Jay, listen, Jay and the Americans are on the Happy Together Tour this summer. They've never been on it. So they're going to do 60 shows with us, right? And they're one-nighters, and it's brutal. But it's wow. so fun. And you mentioned Carter Mia just the other day. Paul, Susan, and myself were talking, and I think they're at J number on J number five or something. But whatever on yeah. that, yeah, yeah. You got to sound like Jay to be in that band, okay? Yep. To be the Beach Boys, you got just got to hit high notes. You don't have to sound like Brian, but in right. Jay and the Americans, if that guy and you mentioned Carter Mia, if he nails that, and we're going, if he can nail that every night, he's going to bring the house down. Yeah. The, I can hear it. I get the crescendo because we know the we know the audience in this show. You know that he's gonna kill it, right? And then we're going. Gee, I hope he can do that every night for six. You know, that's a tall order. Yeah. That song. Ah, and you're. So it is, it is I, when you're on tour with all these guys and people that you've known for you know decades and stuff. You know, from from your past, is it more? You know, I don't know if there's any like you know uh, feeling of competition in musicians because in trust me when it's comedians we can be pretty bitter <laughs> like, yeah. just in general but like but now like you guys are all together is it cool to reminisce and to talk about like do you all feel comfortable none of that do you think that yeah. kind of stuff is dropped at this point yeah, probably because we're you know none of us thought we'd be getting a tour like this at this point in our career ever right right, right. when we were young in fact if you told us we would we'd tell you don't let us do it we'll be embarrassed but it's not that way <laughs> of course it isn't but now you share stories. It's not competition. Here's what happens in the Happy Together Tour. You, the good groups, and look, there's a tear in every show. There's six bands. Sure. How can everybody be equal, right? Right, right? But here's what happens. The 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 good ones uh, help the not not as good ones up their game. Everyone helps each other up their game. You you want to do great, of course. So you're going to up your game. And if you have a good game, you're going to try and make it better. Mm -hmm. And if the other band... They want to have their game be as good as yours. These audience really give you indicators. Oh, we love you. You know, hey, we want them to love us. Mm -hmm. You know, after our set. Sure. So, 
it's 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 a friendly competition because no one everyone knows there's no reason to compete other than friendly at this point in our careers we're all grateful the songs were strong enough to carry us all still yeah and fill these venues we're having is we're having we have very six it's our 10th summer very sold out audiences because it's us wow. we're not dead yet yeah we even we joke you know yeah thanks I yeah mean, Look, there's no more doo-wop shows. We know we know what's going on. Right. The light at the end of the shelf life might be shrinking on this tour and all of us, but it's not yet. All right. And we're proving we're going to be the generation that goes a little longer. Sorry, folks. You know, but we are <laughs> because the songs are sell. They're reason to celebrate. Yeah. And if it's okay if once every year in the summer we all gather to do that celebration, and mm-hmm. we're going to miss it. You know, when it's That's gone. Beautiful man. It, it will be gone. You know, we know that. Yeah. No, that's great. That, I'm, I'm like, that makes me happy. Cause that's for, for, a, you know, uh, I'm a big superhero nerd, you know what I mean? So like for, for me, like the best thing in the world was seeing all the superheroes together on the same page, you know what I mean? Like Captain America, but like, you know, also being a music and comedy nerd, when you see all the people you love together at the same time, having a good time, yeah. you're like, this is the greatest team up of all time, you know? Like, <laughs> so you're happy. It is to fun. Yeah. Good analogy, because, right, yeah, I love the Superman comics, but, man, when I saw that Justice League one with everybody, and I was like, I'm in, you know. <laughs> so, and yeah. that's true, yeah. Yeah. because we do a finale at the end of the show, and last summer we had little Anthony, and, oh. I mean, these these people, you know, I'm up there at the finale. I always note it there, because we're all up there together. I know we're old and everything, but the people I'm standing with, what they did for the music, uh, collectively, what we all did, uh, it's so special that that's what we get to celebrate when we perform, even anytime we perform. Sure. Because we're, we're still performing. It's incredible to us. Yeah. I love that's that, man. It. Is there a piece of, uh, especially coming from, you know, you and your family doing covers and stuff like that, is there a piece of modern music that you guys think about covering or want to tackle? Or like, do you kind of like, you know, mess around with anything when you're just goofing around together? Like, is there a piece of modern music you really like? Um, not, even 90s. Not- you know, I'm like, no, yeah, I'm just going to say not recent, recent. Right, right. Um, but any 90s shit or 80s. It's been a, a series of solo artists and solo. It's, it's either a girl or a guy. Sure. Uh, but the, the latest thing I wanted to, and this is going to go back, uh, a group that I thought we could do their songs was Stone Temple Pilots. Okay. Oh, but yeah, we, yeah. We never did, but their hits, I, man, I said, I want to play that. I want to play that song. Uh they sang it so cool. I loved his phrasing. Uh, we never did, though. Uh, but other than Stone Temple, I think Alice in Chains, I, I wanted to learn in the box, the box song once. Uh, yeah, man. And there was the uh, the two harmony thing uh, that uh, the two brothers sang. I almost oh. wanted to do that, but I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. Things or something. In yep. the way. Anyway. But nothing recently, to be honest with you. And I, I listened to Taylor Swift. I mean, I like her female stack of harmonizers it's very it's very tier wise it's very up here all the time for me mm-hmm. uh, it's the taylor sound but i get what she's doing a lot of a lot of female vocal stacking and and i, I get the lyrics and stuff that's a little too much for me but but um and her fans uh, i it's quite a thing to watch the whole taylor swift thing to me it's yeah. a combination of of timing and her and i mean i saw her do a anthem at dodger stadium when she was 13 the girl's been good her whole life i know this Um, but it's really something to see i gotta tell you um and so i like her sound i ed sheeran i 
I think we're in another phase. We did this once where we have these sensitive male lead singing mm-hmm. uh, hit record makers for a while. It was John Mayer. It's Ed Sheeran. It's Mayer, it's yeah. uh, these single guys, you know, uh, that the girls love and and yeah. uh, the tender lyric and stuff. And I, I get that. That's okay. It's it's okay. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm all right with. It. But there's no more guitar players. There's no more uh, right. lead guitar parts on records. There's no more. Um, I don't know. It's a thumping kind of sound now these days, but uh, there, there, there aren't bands. Right, right, right. With the great lead guitarist that's going to shred something, and, and that's okay. Those days are gone. Right. We're into fast lyrics, lots of lyrics, and it's Green fun Day. to watch. Green Day just put out a new album. Have you have you heard of that yet? I'm okay with Green Day. Um, they made the most out of three chords. I'll give them that, and and, and I, I know that's not putting them down. No, no. But they, the Broadway thing. There was a time they were, they were America. They were depicting America. Okay, they had a time where where they were that big. Okay, they were that big, and then mm-hmm. everybody comes back. I don't care yes. if they say we're out. Okay, you're out. You know, see you yeah, see you right. Because why don't you? Right. You know, do you, because they. I hope that bands remember that once they're done, their music isn't. It never right. is. That's their legacy. Yep. Do you want to have no one perform Green Day songs ever? Right. Um, and just let it go. Or do you want to come on back out and reclaim your legacy? No, look, they could do a stadium tour. It's unbelievable. Yeah. These bands today, the type of tours they could do. And we think of, we did college campuses and state fairs and our day was just auditoriums and nothing like this. It, yeah. You didn't have the sound system to, to perform in a big place back then like that. You couldn't even do it, yeah. you know, what do you think? I'm, I marvel at it. Yeah, I had um, uh, Melissa Oftemar on from, um, she was the uh, one of the writers and um, bassist in uh, the band Hole, and then she was in uh, Smashing Pumpkins, the bass uh, player. Oh, I love Smashing Pumpkins. Yeah, yeah, she was the bass player for oh, Smashing oh, Pumpkins oh, for a long yeah. time. Yeah, they're great. And she was saying, uh, Dave Grohl, because she I think she used to date Dave when they were when she was back in Hole and Courtney was dating um, you know, Kurt Cobain, but, uh, yeah. but basically she was saying Dave Grohl is like the last, probably the last living rock star, you know, cause that guy can still, you know, the guitar and the, the whole thing. I don't know if you're a fan of his, but he seems to be doing, you know, all the cool I've shit. I've watched David Grohl since this, since Kurt's suicide. Yeah. And I watched him come out of that drum set and, and become like, holy freaking mackerel, you know, right. like that's what was sitting in that band. So, you know, I always look at the broader picture of some after you get over the shock of, of certain historical factors of what happened. Sure. You look at David Grohl coming out of that mess and look what he did. And I, I go, you, life is amazing to yeah. me. His story is amazing. Right. He had to be, he had to be sitting under wraps with, I don't know. I, I'm sure there's great documentaries on him even uh, on that transformation, but yeah, that, what a story. I, I yeah. couldn't believe it. And he was it so is- good. I go, dude, you're better. I thought, you know, you're me too. I, I 100% agree. And it's kind of funny yeah. because, you know, obviously what happened was a tragedy, tragedy, but you wonder like, what he had, what do you have branched off on his own or what do you have just stayed in the band? Like, you don't fucking know, but you're, you know, you're like, yeah. you know, we got what we got. So that's, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. He'd yeah, be a great interview. Did you ever try and bring songs? <laughs> <laughs> I, I met him. Um, I was doing a stand up. Uh, thing when I because I lived in California for um, I lived in LA for two years 
Um, not a great two years, by the way. Uh, <laughs> but you know, you go out there and yeah. yeah, yeah, it was it was my you know I, I went out there swinging. I had a bunch of meetings, and then of course the meetings stop, and you're like, oh, uh, yeah. what do I? I this is terrible. Um, I don't know anybody, and it's always sunny, and everybody's pretty. Uh, <laughs> you know, like you're like this is can't be real. Um, yeah, that's but, a uh, flat line. All right. Yeah. <laughs> 100 percent that was exactly what it was uh but i was doing a gig in burbank um at this comedy club and he literally happened to be in the audience which is just right and i don't know why i mean he must have been there to you know maybe he lost a bet i have no fucking idea why he was in Burbank, you know but of course i was like i gotta go up and 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 meet him coolest dude ever like completely like nice set you know blah 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 and i said the dumbest i don't know what what happened to me? I mean, I didn't look exactly like this. I had a little bit, you know, shorter hair, but still long and poofy. But I go, um, I'm like, hey, man, he's like, great set. I'm like, oh, thanks so much. You know, it's great to meet you. And wow. for some reason, I thought this would endear me to him. And uh, I was like, hey, my mom uh, loves your music. No idea why. I said, and he goes, and he just looks at me, and I kind of have the same facial hair. Yeah. And he goes, your mom? <laughs> I'm like, and I was like, no, but I mean, like, but also like, and then I was like, he goes, do you want to, do you want a picture? And I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, I, and he was really cool. I took a picture, but I was like, for day, I was like, your mom, my mom, my mom, not me. I didn't yeah. say that. I said, you're like an idiot. So, but he was super cool. And, you know, I'd love to. Those, those are the moments you relive occasionally and rewrite the script for it. You know? Yes. <laughs> yes. Anything <laughs> would have been rewrite. better. The what if rewrite. Oh God. Um, I got, I want to ask you, I know I've got kept you a little bit over time. I'm sorry about that. Um, I make an over, I like double time. Go ahead. Oh, great. Let's, let's do it. Uh, so my, um, manager wanted me to ask, cause some, he, he very rarely like, uh, you know, he'll, he'll be excited about who I have on or whatever, but he literally sent me a text message and he was like, ask him about, um, so I'm looking, uh, right now, actually, I should have, uh, actually written them, written them down, but he said that you had worked with, um, oh, Chuck Plotkin, who, Springsteen's producer. What mm-hmm. was the relationship there? What was that like? Well, so Chuck Plotkin, uh, John and Barry, my brother, Barry, and my sister, Susan, Paul and myself and Dennis Castaneris, we had a band in the late seventies, the Cowsills. And it had been close enough to the hit record days about a decade later, a little less. We started writing. It had songs. Um, through Susan was uh, living with John Meyer, who's Jackson Brown's brother-in-law. Okay. Oh, so, wow. and Susan's babysitting for Jackson Brown's child. Okay. Once wow. in a while. Jackson Brown knows Chuck Plotkin because Chuck okay. Plotkin, is an A&R guy at Electra Asylum where Jackson is and Ronstadt and uh, Andrew Gold. They're all there. I, we call them the, the Electra Asylum group, you know. They mm-hmm. were all over there. And and Chuck, we were rehearsing down in a studio and Chuck came down and heard us and uh, took us under his wing. We were very, very naive and very rookie-ish, even though we'd had a career. Uh, wow. we're, we're new to writing and performing really uh, again uh, it's 1977 now 78 and chuck has a studio clover studios he has his own recording studio and he takes us in to make an album with us and and worked with us i mean i wrote five songs for this man this these are these days i wrote five songs for this guy before he finally said now that's a song 
Okay, wow. so he's one of these guys. Mm-hmm. He has a real ear, doesn't play music, but has an ear, okay? Mm-hmm. So we spend a year with him and we record what's going to be called the Cocaine Drain album. Uh, and a total of 16 songs, 10 at Clover, six out at a studio in the Valley uh, that a guy named Emmett, Emmett Rhodes, he owned that and we went to and did it at his studio. But Chuck's our producer. He is teaching us me how to write a song. He's teaching us our instruments on how to record properly because we're coming out of days of wouldn't it be nice kind of recording sessions, you know, arrangers, sure. you know, horns. String. All right. We got our gear on now. So Chuck in 78, we're in Clover every day and, and learn. And we made a great, great album. Got it done. Uh, Valgare sequenced it. We got it all mastered. We got it done. And at this time, Bruce Springsteen shows up, okay? Wow. Right at this time. He's mm-hmm. acting over. I'm up upstairs in the office. And, and Bruce is there with us. And we're talking, visiting Bruce. He, it's before darkness on the edge of town. But he's Bruce. I know who Bruce is. And I'm yeah, going yeah. In my head, I'm going, oh, he's short. I didn't know he was short. He's short. Okay, so that's a big memory of that meeting. <laughs> our hand, my hand, and he gives me a cassette. I said, you guys should record this. And it's a song called Rendezvous. And so now I'm holding a, a Bruce Springsteen song on a cassette. Wow. So what's going to happen is this. Bruce Springsteen has decided uh, he's working with Chuck at Clover. And he's decided that Chuck Plotkin is the only man in the plan- on the planet who can mix darkness on the edge of town. He is the only person who can do it. He knows how to do the lead vocal, where to put it. That's going to lead to Bruce mixing darkness on the edge of town. We just finished cocaine drain. Right. And Chuck mixes real good. I'm sure Bruce loved this. Chuck, when you mix with Chuck Plotkin, everything's quiet in the booth and nothing's on. And he just brings up the song, all of it. And starts mixing it way down there. Wow. He goes, if you can hear the tambourine here, you'll hear the tambourine. All right. So, so Bruce and Bruce had had other people try and mix this freaking record of his because he's going to go big time soon, right? Mm-hmm. And and Chuck's the guy, and this ends up being the be- the end of the Cocaine Drain project and the beginning of a ten year relationship with Bruce and, and Chuck Plotkin. Wow. Chuck's going to move to New York. He's going to get divorced. He's going to have a whole personal upheaval happen to him. But through it all, he is there with Landau and Bruce Springsteen and mixing these songs uh, because Chuck would get all the track done. And then everyone had to just be quiet. He's alone at the console and his fingers are only on the lead vocal. He's got everything where he wants. And now it's where it's moving that lead book. Anyway, so and it really, it was the end of our album. It is now going to be re-released. We signed with Omnivore Recordings for Rhythm of the World. They're going to release the Cocaine Drain album uh, oh, next year. Great. And Global, this other one we did later, that's another crazy story. But anyway, the project died and Chuck went to New York. And, you know, we're not in a position, like you, you know, the meeting stopped. The, yeah. it, all, it all stopped, yeah. you know. And... I'm 28, Susan's 18, 19, and you were young. Okay, it stopped. Fine. All right, you know, whatever. It stopped. But that's the story of working with Chuck. And he taught us how to make a record, how to produce a record, 
how to get drum sounds. I mean, it's easier now because of technology, but back then you had to work on stuff. He, he, he was very valuable in our, in our uh, teaching us everything about recording and making a record. And we know why Bruce took him. That yeah. hurt. It, 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 bad timing. Sure. Um, there were other things in the equation, believe me, but that was, right, the right. Killer, that was the killer move. And That's crazy, man. He had to go. Yeah. The boss. He was known as the boss even then. And yeah, of course, yeah. Darkness on the Edge of Town becomes a big kind of big hit in a different kind of way for Bruce. He's going to step up and become more famous. I mean, Born in the USA fame isn't coming yet. That's another decision he has to make. But right. that was the kind of artist he could do. How big am I going to become with this? Do, do I want that? Yeah, yeah. Really, he struggled with that in Born in the USA more than Darkness on the Edge of Town because Darkness on the Edge of Town was a coming out album. That was great. Yeah. It was Absolutely. great. Yeah. That so was that was a, uh, so thank you for asking. That's our Chuck Plocken. <laughs> yeah, that was great, man. Thanks for sharing that. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. And I wanted to ask you too. So, you know, uh, as a musician and also a writer, what's your process for writing music like? I mean, how do you go about it? Do you kind of hear uh, the melody, like the music of it first, or do the lyrics come first for you? Are you a sit down and like, okay, I'm going to write music from nine to five, or do you kind of have in mm -hmm. inspiration come? Like, what's your, how do you do it? I wish I could sit down and do that. I think those are the people that work. It's like the studio musician who can read and write the music gets yeah. work. Yep, absolutely. So, yeah. So, no, what happens with me is I'm a batch writer historically. This has been what it is because I'm old enough to see that that's what it was. And okay. it's called, it's like every 10 years, I'm going to write 20 songs. Nice. I'm not one of these people that carry around notebooks. Um, if I see a line, I'll say it and let Susan put it in her notebook, but mm -hmm. I don't notebook myself uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna start having melodies come at me okay i'm not a lyric guy lyric okay. a reluctant lyricist um so i'm gonna have melodies happen and they happen and uh to the point where having done it so many times that i'm convinced that uh, melodies and music exist out there that songwriters have the uh, 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 an ability to open their minds open a door to let it through because if you've ever written a song in 15 minutes, you go, wow. And that really backs that up. Right. If you've ever written a song and you put a bridge in it and you go, well, that didn't work. But later on, you wrote a song and that bridge worked over there. That's when it, it's that's when I think that is, is the case. Um, some songs I, took me 11 years to write a song once. You know, the melody always comes first and complete for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I have melody because it's in my head. And I just, I can strum it. I don't write it down. I don't know how to write a melody down. But it becomes, you know, like a song in your head, right? Sure. So yeah. I have a melody. And I might have a line, you know. Right. I might have a line. And But when it's time to write, uh, and I know I have to write, then I will sit down and say, okay, I got to say something. Now, with Rhythm of the World, it was great because I got to write with my brother and sister who are good with lyrics. So I could fire melodies, they could fire lyrics. This was like, oh, this is co-writing. This is cool. Yeah. Uh, but I'm a melody guy and I can have the whole melody done. I can even be in the studio with the arrangement almost done of the song, even without the lyric. Um, I grew up listening to songs and arrangements, but melody and arrangements, okay? Meaning hmm. today there are hit songs that were hits that I grew up with. I still can't sing the lyrics to you, but I know the song real well. I know sure. it real well the arrangement and 
but I can't do the lyrics for you because that's the last thing I paid attention to. I couldn't understand half of them anyway. Right. In some of the songs. Um, so I'm total melody guy and I do have melodies and they do come to me. I don't go looking for them. Um, I'll just have a guitar or I don't even need the guitar, you mm. know, but that's just how it is with me. And that's just, and, and that's the way it's been. That's how I wrote. So I can say that's how I wrote because that's, that's what phenomenal. I did. And, and, and even the, the last batch I wrote was late. I said every 10 years, right? Yeah. Uh, so after about 16 years, these songs for Rhythm of the World, we wrote them in a summer on the tour. But before then, I, I have a melody coming out, but I don't mm -hmm. have time for it. I don't have time for it. Sure. Because, you know, oh, that's cool. Not yet. Because, and I knew it. And of course, once I start, I'm going to write a bunch of songs. Right. So know this about yourself. It's, it's your style and how you were born almost, then you don't worry about it. I, I don't have dry spells. They're just long spells in between prolific writing periods. That is incredibly important, I think, especially for younger musicians and people learning to do stuff today too, because I think they can get trapped in, you know, either paying attention to the way somebody else does something and thinking maybe, oh, I, because I don't do it this way. But you have to be in tune to your natural rhythms. Like even like, yeah. you know, um, you know, when I was starting out doing comedy, you kind of had this influx of people telling you exactly how you should be and what you should do. And I think for not for a long time, because I just have this in me anyway, probably from my, you know, growing up, or my parents or, or whatever it was, but I just kind of do my own like I, I usually wind up doing my own thing anyway. But, you know, you still you, you look towards other people or there's people that influence you. Um, but for the longest time, it was like you got to sit down, you got to write every day and you got to do this kind of thing. And then I felt like I learned my natural rhythm of being like, you know, uh, there's a cadence to comedy. There's a cadence to, to me and how I do things. And uh, if I try to force anything, I'll never get what I need. But if I'm comfortable in my own skin and myself and everything, like now I just know, like you do, like basically what you were saying about like it just kind of coming to you. Same yeah. thing. I just kind of experience the world as I experience it. If If there's a... <laughs> you know, something funny once in a while, like a perfect line will pop in and I'm like, I can use that somewhere, but I have to piece that puzzle together uh, in real time, almost like on stage. Like I have, thankfully now I'm at the point where I've just got this, this, you know, uh, solid group of, me of material, but I still get to play in between. And if I yeah. can make it sound like it's, you know, yeah, and I think that whole process, even in comedy and what we do, it just varies like snowflakes. There's a little variation for everybody. Yes. I get the person who can sit down. I'm sure Diane Warren can sit down and give you a song <laughs> if you show her anything. Write me a song yeah. about this. I think she could come up with something good. And I think probably all of us could come up if we practice it, you know, that kind of thing. But you are who you are. And yeah, if you, and that's the writer I became and I accepted it. I didn't try and say, you must write, sit down and write. I go, no, I don't I yeah. know what to do, you know. So, yeah, that's cool. I love the process. It's very so Yeah, much. me too. It's crazy because it really is kind of magic. Like, that's, that's, the, that's the thing to me that I find, like, there's just an element of magic and all this kind of stuff because it's still – people still blow me away, especially me. Because I don't understand, you know um, – you know, music and, and mo most of that stuff. Like I've, I've have, like, I have a keyboard. It just, I, I can kind of play my mom can play by ear. Um, but she was always super shy. So she never did anything with it. Like mm -hmm. she was kind of forced to take piano as a kid. She learned how to play by ear. And then we always had one in the house for a bit, but I never like did anything with it. And now I can like 
you know, I don't know how to read music, but I can kind of hear and memorize stuff or whatever. Um, I own a banjo. I don't dare. To, like I've, I've, you know what I mean? Like it was a gift that somebody else yeah. had given me. It was like their grandfather. So it's really old as shit. And I see it on my wall every day. And there's a Kermit the Frog doll hanging from it. Because uh, <laughs> I'm a big, big Muppet mm. fan or whatever. You know, Rainbow Connection. That's a classic. Um, right. And then, but I just, you know, going to see music and knowing my friends who are just close friends of mine who are just amazing musicians, you know, I still sit and watch and on even, even sometimes, you know, good comedy and stuff. I'm just like, that was a magic trick. That was fucking, you know, a, yeah. just, just out of thin air. And even when you, you know, it's, you probably have this too, but you do something on stage, something a little different, something, whatever. And, and you're just like, where the hell did that come from? You know what I mean? Like you still get that, like, you know, excitement that's, or that spark. That's a good sign when that happens to you on stage. Right. That's, a, that's the displays a comfort level. Where you, 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 I'm open. I'm open. Even up here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you get yeah. like, cause I, I love talking about this kind of stuff too. Do, do you um, or your siblings kind of still get, um, you know, I know everybody gets excited. Like, do you still get butterflies in your stomach before going on? Do you still have that? It's exciting or, or is it just, you know, cause I still get it. And I thought it was a bad thing until I talked to, um, I was at a showtime taping for a friend and, uh, and there was a bunch of other, you know, uh, heavyweights like comics who've been doing it for decades longer than I have. And, uh, I got to talk, you know, I was just talking, shooting the shit backstage and they were kind of bickering about who wanted to follow the other because everyone thought they were stronger. You know what I mean? They're like, I'm not going mm -hmm. after you're out of your fucking mind. You know what I mean? They were arguing yeah. about the order. And I quietly to myself, I thought, Oh my God, like this still happened. Like, you know, like you still get like that? Like, is it, yeah. for, is it, is it that way for musicians too? It is, well, for these musicians, it is. The yeah, butterflies yeah. are, uh, I would say over the years, probably the butterflies are, are more not because you're nervous about your performance. Um, they're, they're exciting nerves. You know, you're yes. going to start, you're, you're going to start because awesome. once that show starts, I got 90 minutes and I just look at everyone. I see you later. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and we all just start the show. We don't know, you know, those little turns that every show has that you didn't know about that you're going to have in that show are going to come in all the fun of the show. So yeah. the butterflies are more about that. We get butterflies the whole month of May. You can get butterflies for the happy together tour because that's a 60 city tour and it's, it's a bus tour and you're mm -hmm. going to sleep in a berth and, and you're older and it's rigorous. Um, you have, yeah. yeah, you got 20 minutes on stage, but that means you have 23 hours and 40 minutes off stage. Right. This is the challenge of touring is that. So so um, the butterflies are for just, okay, I know this is coming. It's going to be rigorous. But, you know, once the show starts or that tour, the, there, are, there are no butterflies. Right. You, the train pulls out and you go, here we go. Then it's the excitement of the show. And, like, you know, you go, wow, we're already – we're already an hour in and you go like things like that come into mind during the show. Yeah. And it's like, God, this is all we have left. This is going fast. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Butterflies are fun butterflies now. Absolutely. But, man. Yes. yes. Um, how did you, as an entertainer, how did you handle the pandemic and stuff? Cause I know it was hard and, and different for everybody. And sometimes they got to learn a little bit more about themselves or their craft. Um, what did you do to cope during that? We had two things that ended up occupying the whole time. And we were fortunate because we had just finished recording this last album we made, Rhythm of the World, when nice. the pandemic hit. So 
we got to mix it, which is a tedious process with Frank Filippetti from his studio in Connecticut. For eight months, we sent the songs back and forth, mixing it together remotely. Mm-hmm. Now that filled a lot of time. You took your time and there was no rush. You, you couldn't go anywhere. We did that during that time. The second thing we did was we started a podcast. <laughs> the Council's podcast has been going on for two years. We have 123 episodes. Everyone from Pat Boone to Steve Van Zandt to Bill Medley to all the Tommy James and the Peter Noons and the oh my God. rock stars have guested on it. Um, and it was a great idea to do it. The three of us host it. Uh, in fact, next week is funny. We're going to have Jay and the Americans because Jay, well, because they're coming on the tour. So yeah, we yeah. on our podcast and, and, and uh, meet the new Jay. I think he's Jay number five. We just love the history. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you got to sound like him. Yeah. Uh, and so we did that also. So we were fortunate to have projects uh, to fill the time. Uh, that stayed with us after it was over. The podcast every Wednesday still, you know. Great, once man. We, once we learned it, you know. Like, look sure. at you. I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's a it's today's radio is what yeah. we think of it as. Uh, but but way better, way better. I agree. Yeah, absolutely. And, and we, we don't I, even want conference calls anymore. We want Zoom. <laughs> we want Zoom conference calls. You know, even in our business, we like seeing the people we talk to. We got yep. so used to Zoom when at first it was intimidating, but. Yeah. And, and same, if I don't talk to my, like if any part of my team is like, uh, Hey, can we do this over the phone? I'm like, no, I need to see your face. It's fun. <laughs> yeah, it's it is. Cool. It's, yeah, it's we, we like it I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to absolutely listen to your podcast too. I'm sorry. I didn't even realize I should have, uh, I oh, known don't you worry about it. It's up on YouTube on you just put council's podcast. It just, just goes on and on. That's uh, great, man. But these are great visits because they're with the historians, uh, I mean, you asked, you talked to Steve Van Zandt about the Bruce Springsteen band. I mean, yeah, I, mean, I, I had this, him on, this on with all too. these people, you know, they're great yeah. people. And, and, and you know what, that's the coolest thing too. Like I don't get, you know, um, like for me, like originally when I wanted to, when I started doing the podcast, the, the natural thing and the thing everybody kind of tells you to do is have on every comedian, you know, you've ever known and like, all, which is great. And I love talking to my comedy buddies and even like, like I've had Robert Klein on and people that I wouldn't probably. That's awesome. Yeah. Love Robert. Klein. And, and again, and, and you know, what's cool too, is like these people wind up becoming, um, you know, for, you become familiar with them, become friendly with them. And, and it's nice. And this is just me telling you, I'm probably going to text it you. It is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I'll talk no, to you during awesome the office. Yeah. No, it is. And then like, but the coolest thing was just like, when I, talked to my manager about having I was like uh, can I get musicians on and he was like why the hell not like let's like because yeah. now I get to talk to all my heroes and stuff and it's you know half of me is trying not to geek out because I'm trying to be a professional but the other half is like are you fucking joking like it's just the it's the weirdest it's the weirdest thing man and we it's know so that weird. feeling yes we know that feeling these people are gracious man some of it mm-hmm. and, and it's just so cool I mean we're all older so you know, back then we couldn't find each other, even on tour. You didn't tour with each other. Right. We, we followed each other back then. We could all hold our own, you know, on tour. And uh, but now to get to talk to Chuck Negron and hear Three Dog Night stories and and, and, and hear him say, we go, we wanted to be in your band. You, go, you did not want to be in my band. You, did not <laughs> like, you would not have liked me back then. And just to hear stories of historical stories to me anyway, it's just, yeah. it's just incredible. 
So yeah, we we kept busy during the pandemic, and I befriended a squirrel in my backyard who stopped running up the tree every time I came out and started giving him nuts, and he started sitting on my chair in the morning waiting for me. Oh my so god! I had a chance to bond with a little animal that normally don't bond with us through the pandemic, and that's all the reason it was. It was I was there every day, you know. That's so I had that experience also. <laughs> yeah, that's that is that is phenomenal, man. I love squirrel. Uh, the, the only thing that got we my cat got super used to me never going anywhere except maybe for a grocery yeah. run or like whatever the hell it is and now it's like he just thinks if yeah. i leave it's the most it's the it most it's the craziest thing i've done you know <laughs> I'm like, that's, dude. that's a long time of pet spoiling for a pet to get over let me tell you absolutely absolutely yes. man um i'm gonna ask you the last three questions that i ask every guest on the show so you'll be you know uh ready um so first question is a little bit of a softball one but if you could go back in time and talk to your younger self what piece of advice would you give yourself that would help you today i would have given myself the piece of advice to uh, be strong on your conviction to the point of taking action on behalf of yourself and not accepting the norm that's in front of you that you're told to deal with if you can change it and make it easier to deal with beautiful man um second question is what had to end in your life good or bad that led you to where you are today what had to end in my life yeah good or bad that led you to where you are right now well there's a number of occasions but probably the the harshest thing that my father ever did to any of us was take away Christmas when you're from Bill. I never got over it. Uh, I was 13 and uh, that was the start of a sequence of events that were gonna harden me uh, in a way that um, I was gonna become like a survivor, okay, wow. of things. Just from observing around me rather than surviving because uh, I went through it and partook in it, I survived by watching it and avoiding it a lot. Uh, so. Uh, that incident and him throwing my brother out of the family in the band uh, that Sunday morning in, in uh, Santa Monica. Uh, if that had not happened, I don't know what would have happened to me. So, and, and I could pretty much say that to any major event in my life. I need it to happen to be where I'm at today because I'm okay where I'm at today. I'm fine with it. Right. And everything I've been through, I'm fine with it. So I don't want to change anything, but there were big giant gross versions of it that oh my goodness like what if bill stayed in the family he and i may have made more records together i don't know right. what if Arlie would have stayed we would have made had a longer career who knows right but it wasn't meant to be and i'm okay now you know so i'm okay with all of it that's amazing resilience man and and to the, uh, the that comes up a lot uh just the resilience things i've had a bunch of um you know psychologists on yeah. a couple other different people on and we still don't understand what makes one person resilient and one person not. That's still the thing that kind of, you know, no one knows what it is, right? So it's it's amazing to to have that and to talk about it. I know it's DNA because I have a brother. I have a twin brother. He's gone, yep. and yeah. I could look at him and go, "What? What are you? What are you doing? What is in you? You know, it's not in me. It's in him. I, I don't know. I, you can only answer for yourself and marvel at others and learn from the others. And right. I'm very attentive to learning from others. I knew how to avoid dad. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than take him on. Right. You know? So, yeah. And I wonder if that also kind of unfold learning how to avoid dad, you probably also growing up saw that characteristic in either other situations or other people. And you probably subconsciously also avoided those pitfalls too. Oh yeah. No, you're alert. If you learn from people in your life, we all learn from people in our life. 
But mm-hmm. if you pay attention, what the things you learn from the from people in your life, what in terms of what not to do, that's as important. And mm-hmm. I learned a bunch of stuff from dad uh, and mom on what not to do uh, more than I learned what to do. And there's a lot of other people that you can that's there in your life for that reason. You know? Yeah, that's absolutely. Fun. Um, and the last question question's a little bit of a, a dark one. So, um, so it ties into the show. It's called Dystopia Tonight. Um, I, I, I was interested in that name. <laughs> the, mid, the, the doomsday clock is 90 seconds to midnight, closer than it's ever been, you know, and that's a real thing. So you wake up and uh, it's the last day on earth for everybody. Two, it's a twofold question. What do you think? Is the is going to be the end? Do you think it's going to be a comet? Climate change finally hits, and every everything's happening. Do you think it'll be government collapse? Um, and what are you going to be doing? What's the what's the you know what's your end game scenario? You know what I mean? Are you going to go out fighting? Are you going to go out playing the last concert, eating a cheeseburger? You know what's your thing? What's 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 your last day like? Well, let me think about that. You know, I I think unfortunately, uh, I think that we're going to take it down. Unfortunately, I think we're taking think so. it down, but we I don't agree. have to get into that. Um, I'm too yeah, yeah. old. If I was younger, I'd be more active in it. Now I'm more observational of it. But I, I, I mean, the whole the whole planet's going south to me. So yeah. I think I think unfortunately we're going to take it down. Now that's not going to surprise me. So I, I'm I'm going to be thinking like, well, doesn't that just make sense? And all I'm going to do is quietly leave. I'm going to quietly. I would just quietly gather whatever I'm near, accept what's going to happen as the inevitable thing that's going to happen. Stick with my loved ones who's ever nearby and call it a life. It is how I, my attitude would not be fearful. I, mm-hmm. I don't think, okay, sure. because I don't think it's a comet. If it's a comet, then, you know, I've seen the movies, you know, they're like get brighter every day, brighter every day. It's hotter every day. You're going to be died about a, two weeks. You're gone. Right, right. I'm talking like, you know, uh, I'm more like nuclear, more like we really did this, you know, this is crazy, but, but I've seen history enough. I love seeing the planet. I love it. See it from space. Cause I look at it and I go, what is with you people? Yeah. You know, oh, we have this land. We have this. I go, great. Let's trade. That's all it has to be. Right. But whatever on, on people and men and uh, any of it, uh, yeah. but nothing's going to shock me. Uh, and I would be kind of sad about that we did that because I think that's what's going to happen. I think it might be happening. Uh, so it's going to take a long time, maybe two generations from now. Um, I'm not seeing love of mankind much anywhere. And uh, uh, I'm a little nervous about that, you know. Same. So uh, that's just my take on it. And it's just yeah. observational. I don't, I don't espouse. I don't put people down. You can think what you want, say what you want, and I can marvel at it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That's my position now. I'm not no, that's great, it. man. I love that. I love that. The observer. You're the observer. That's awesome. And now, yeah. yeah. My <laughs> yeah. I'll take up the, my friends and I'll take up the rest of it. If you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll march for you. Well, you know, I used to be a participant in history right now. I watch it on my television history. I was a history minor. Always. I took history in college. I, I love school. I stay in college till by the end I'm, I'm taking the history of movies and weather classes, but I got out <laughs> eventually. Uh, but I, I loved learning about history. I always took history. So nice. now, as you know, history is live on your TV set. You know? Yeah. So this, I can't stop looking. Uh, 
often uh, on what's going on in, in historical love of history. Like some things I, I, I got the, I can't believe we're doing that. I, I wish we would do that. We all have our thoughts, yeah. but I'm just watching the whole thing. I'm watching the whole thing go south and, and uh, we'll just see what happens. You know, we'll see what it's happens. truly surreal because it is one of those things where like, you know, my friends and I will talk about it all the time. And, and 2023, I think for, um, it's funny. I remember my first uh, live show in the new year in 2023, I was joking around about how this 2023 was going to be a transitional year. 2022 was like, everybody's back out of the, everybody was really excited to yeah. see each other. But I felt, but I was kind of joking. And then it turned out to be dead fucking accurate. Yeah. And then, and we were, my friends and I were just kind of sitting around and somebody was like, you know, God, I don't know what's, what's wrong with all, I don't know why we feel like shitty or whatever. And I was like, well, of course we do. I'm like, you know, like this is the weird, like I think, and you can tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think when, you know, uh, historically during like times, like a great depression or whatever it was, mm -hmm. people were well aware, like you could see it and you could feel it. So it was obvious what you were going through because that was the only thing. But now there's still, you know, uh, um, inflation that we're going through and two wars and, um, you know, the still the pandemic stuff and dealing with the aftermath of that um, and all that other shit. And there's all this stuff going on. But the other part of that is it doesn't look like it because we have the Internet and streaming services and we have amazing technology and all this other stuff. So part of our brain is feeling this like, you know, like you said, like there's the, the everything seems to be going south. But what we're seeing and visualizing for the most part is we have a million distractions. So it's there's like this cognitive dissonance. Does that feel correct? Like, I don't Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and the source of information has become so buried, so wide, so but but yet narrow <laughs> at yeah. the same time. <laughs> yes, so that's an issue also. And Absolutely. look, they'll work it out. Um, people go through bad phases and countries go through bad phases and they'll either figure it out or historically they'll succumb to uh, whatever we're all going to succumb to. It's just going to come at us, whether we yep. blow each other up. I mean, there's not enough love right now. Okay, there just isn't. No, I agree. And everyone's quick to judge and quick to respond and too quick to be. It's just, it's just, I don't know. We need temperance. We need to calm down, as Taylor wow. Swift said. Uh, calm yeah. down. <laughs> yeah. What a great way to wrap it up. What a great 180, man. Yeah. Um, thank you so, so much for spending time with me, dude. I'm a, I'm like a huge it, yeah. fan of you guys and yours. Thank and you. Um, it was beautiful. Where can people find you? Do you have a, um, you got the podcast, which is great. You know, Council's podcast everywhere, everywhere. It's everywhere. Mm -hmm. Um, you got the Facebook council's Facebook page, council.com. And we're just everywhere. Just put in council and bam, bam, there it is. <laughs> to come see and, you. When it comes to you guys at the Count Basie, it's going to be great. Yes. Look for us on tour. Of course, check out our appearances. We're everywhere and all the time still. Till awesome. we're not. Thank you very much for having yep. me. I really enjoyed the of visit. Course. Thanks remember, so much. Dystopia, that dystopias can be a result of a, trying to go after utopia too many times. So it's okay what you're going after. You know, you can be utopian on the way to dystopia. Oh, that is a beautiful. I'm quoting you on that. I'm going to plug the it's hell out. That's true. beautiful, man. Thank you. It's Thank true. you for that. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. It was a long, yep. long sit. Appreciate Thank it. Thanks for doing this. Dystopia tonight.